praise in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Houses of Worship, or what role did people's houses and homes play in the ministry and the structure and the activities of the New Testament church? What's the Bible say? Now, we're not talking in this series specifically about some type of ministry or some specific spiritual activity that took place in houses. We're just talking about what role did meeting from house to house have to do with uh, the New Testament and the New Testament church and its structure, its ministry. And that's what we want to talk about here. Uh, the last couple of lessons have been very interesting. We uh, All of them are interesting to me, but uh, Two lessons ago, we talked about the fact that the Last Supper was conducted in the upper room, a large upper room of a private residence. And then the next lesson, we talked about the fact that more than likely it was that same upper room where the Last Supper or the Last Passover was celebrated by Jesus and the 12 disciples, apostles. Uh, it was also more than likely the same upper room that the Holy Ghost was poured out in. In, in this lesson, I want to be very specific. I want to discuss this question. Why did God choose to pour out the Holy Ghost the first time to begin, to begin the new covenant in a house rather than in the temple? I'm asking you to please cons uh, carefully consider all this. And this is stuff that I'm going to be reading a lot more in this lesson. This stuff that God has given me, and you'll know I'm reading because I don't pretend I'm not reading. Uh, but I'm going to read and comment. But this is, I want to read through this and comment because I think it's very critical to do this very precisely as much as I can. And the, the Holy Ghost wants to say this. This is already stuff the Lord's given me, and then he will fill in whatever blanks he chooses. Uh the outpour of the Holy Ghost first took place in Jerusalem. Now, it's amazing when we think about the fact that Jerusalem is where the temple was located. So the Holy Ghost outpouring first took place in Jerusalem, that Jesus commanded them on the Mount of Olives before his ascension to go and tarry in Jerusalem, specifically in Jerusalem, till you receive the promise of the Father. So they went and did what he said, specifically in the city of Jerusalem. Well, the city of Jerusalem also specifically had was the location of the temple of God. This building, the temple of God. Both Jesus and the disciples frequented the temple while Jesus was with them. And the disciples continued this practice after the day of Pentecost. The last verse of Acts chapter two, the last two verses of Acts chapter two discuss the fact that they continued daily in the temple and from house to house. So, uh, the temple was there. The temple had some role in Jesus's ministry and the apostles ministry. I mean, Peter and John were on their way in Acts chapter three. Uh, to the temple at the time of uh, afternoon prayer, uh, which is 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and that's when they prayed for the lame man who had been sitting at that gate, brought there from the for many, many years because he had been lame from birth, and they healed him. So 
that first real revival happened at the temple. They didn't go there to have church and gather and invite people to come. They were on their way to pray. So it they didn't just pray privately in their own homes, but they did pray in collective gatherings and had been doing that. Both of those were Jesus's practices and he taught them how to pray. He prayed privately and he prayed collectively with them and he prayed sometimes in public. Uh, so they were on their way to pray when this miracle occurred. And I say when this miracle occurred because both them and Jesus had walked past this man many times. But for whatever reason, that day was God's day. And he healed them that day. So the temple was there in Jerusalem, and it was a significant place, not just to the Jews, but to these new Christians who were still Jewish by uh, heritage, but they were no longer Jewish by faith, even though some continued to try to mix the two. The scripture made it very clear that it was a transition from one to the other. That's why Jesus said that during his ministry, he only went to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? Were they lost then? That wasn't the implication. He went to those that at 6 o'clock in the morning on the day of Pentecost, when the new covenant began, anybody that was still trusting the old covenant for their salvation were no longer saved. So he went to people to get them ready so that they would not have a lag, if you want to call it that, in their salvation. But those who continued to walk only in the old covenant after the new covenant came were no longer saved. That's hard to pill to swallow, isn't it? So the temple was a place to go preach the gospel to people. They went there to pray, and they also went there and preached. And 5,000 people believed, meaning they got baptized, they got the Holy Ghost, we have every right to assume, after the lame man was healed. That happened at the temple. Now, if I got 5,000 people in church here Sunday when I preach, uh, then 5,000 people could get the Holy Ghost here. But if uh, there's not a miracle and those are all drawn here, then I need to go to them, don't I? That's the biblical basis. So given these facts, then the question comes down to this. As important as the temple was to the Jewish people and to the plan of God up to the day of Pentecost and the fact they were in Jerusalem and the temple was there, it's a legitimate question to ask, well, why didn't God just choose to pour out the Holy Ghost the first time in the temple? So given these facts then, I'm asking the question again, why did the Lord not send the disciples to the temple for the, for the day of Pentecost outpouring instead of to the upper room of a residence? So I'm repeating it all again considering the great significance of the temple in the Old Testament. And given that the disciples with Jesus frequented the temple before the day of Pentecost and then continued to do so afterwards, 
why would the Lord not choose to pour out his spirit for the first time in the temple? I, I, that's what's that three, four times the question's been asked. But I keep asking it because I'm trying to get your attention. The Holy Ghost is trying to get your attention. To not just pass this off as some curiosity. The answer to this question, the one I've been given I, that I believe God gave me, is a significant answer to that question. Not just a an oddity. It's not trivia. It's not a an answer to trivia. It is an answer that's fundamental to everything we believe and preach and practice as apostolics. So one possible reason is that the baptism of the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out upon all flesh, not just upon the Jews. To pour out the Holy Ghost in a distinctively Jewish building of worship would seem to send the wrong message. Remember, the church, the body of Christ, replaced the temple as God's dwelling place. At 6 a.m., when the day of Pentecost was fully come, at 6 a.m. on the day of Pentecost. So, at the moment they received the Holy Ghost, the temple was no longer the temple. There was a new temple in town. And it was a living organism, not a structure, a building. It was the body of Christ, the temple of God. So it's very likely, and I'm not trying to make a salvation doctrine out of this, so I'm saying it in this manner, this is not the way I believe it, but this is the way I'm choosing and feel to say it. And that is, it's very, this, is exa- this is the question I believe, and uh, it, I believe I have scripture for that answer, but uh, I'm trying not to be definitive with it because I have the re- responsibility to provide room where there is room that should be provided. So that's one answer. Another possible reason is that there was only one temple. There's only well, there was only one temple. And it was in Jerusalem. Now, Paul pre- frequently preached in synagogues. And Jesus, we know, preached and frequented the synagogue in his ho- hometown of Nazareth. We know that. He preached his first message come after he came out of the wilderness in the synagogue in Nazareth. But there was only one Jewish temple, and it was in Jerusalem. And in Acts 1 and 8, Jesus specifically commanded the disciples to go in all the world, to be witnesses unto him in all the world. Well, the the Father apparently did not want to connect the fulfilling of his promise to pour out his Spirit upon all flesh to a specific location or structure. All nations and cities had houses. But again, only one nation, city, or city had the temple. Now, we need to pay attention to that right there. What significance would man have placed on it over the years if uh, if God had poured out the Holy Ghost the first time in the temple? Well, look even today. There are people that pray every day at the Western Wall, which is the only part of the temple left, which they call the Wailing Wall. 
people pray there every day and stick pieces of paper in the rocks of prayer requests. I'm sorry. So to be holy, we have to make pilgrimages. That's what other religions do. Our God's everywhere. That's why he's not an idol. He doesn't, he's commanded. We have no visible representations of him. So if the church is the body of Christ and Christ is now the head of the body and we're, there's supposed to be no visible representations of God, of Christ, then is it possible we've made church buildings into the visible representation of the church? And we have a tendency to make them idols. We make them holy rather than those who are gathering there holy. I mean, the church is just as holy if it's meeting in the parking lot rather than on, sitting on the nicest seats available. But that's not our culture, is it? Uh, culture is a nice word for present tradition, traditional practices. Well, the Lord didn't give room for that. He poured out the Holy Ghost the first time in a house. We don't even know what the address is. We don't even know if that house still exists. We don't know the location. We can't build a monument or shrine there. We can't put a museum in there. We can't we can't put in uh prayer benches to go in and pray there. We can't, you know, people go to Israel to be baptized in the Jordan. It's already been baptized. Like the Jordan River is going to make that more meaningful. Seriously? Seriously? Seriously. But have we done any less with our buildings? Now, in the building of Annapolis, the church in Annapolis, uh, he didn't let that happen very easily because in the first 12 years, years we used 22 different buildings. Now, we've been on this particular hill, but he taught us that this hill is not supposed to be uh, the location of Antioch. Because he made it clear many, many years ago that Antioch was supposed to be in many locations. And we're already headed that direction, already doing that. So it's just as much Antioch if it's a building on a street downtown Baltimore that does it. It's a nice looking church building, old church building, but doesn't have any parking. Or it's just as much Antioch if it's in a school auditorium of an elementary school in another area of our Town, or if it's in this, on this location, here our main location in Arnold, Maryland, right outside of Annapolis, Maryland, 30 acres of ground on a hill. It's no more holy here than it is in those other places because the church is what's holy. The church is the habitation of God through the Spirit. The church is God's building. That's exactly what the scripture says. So that's one of the reasons I believe that. He did that. Furthermore, we know where the temple was and is located. I've already said this, but I'm going to read it again. Furthermore, we know where the temple was and is located, but we do not know where the upper room was located. This prevents it from being made into a shrine or a holy place. The only holy place to get each, each of us is the place where we each receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is as it should be. Well, the place where I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost now belongs to a non-apostolic church. It was sold when that church moved on. 
and it was a spot right in the altar area right in front of the pulpit. And I can see that in my mind. I remember that happening, and I'm very thankful that it happened. But I can take you to a lot of places and a lot of altars where there were some significant things that happened to me in the spirit. So I don't want that place to be holy to me. I want the experience to be holy because of the relationship with God it brought me into. Here's another reason. The father also may not have wanted to associate the Jerusalem temple with the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost because the inauguration of the New Testament was to mark the replacing of the earthly temple building with the spiritual temple of the body of Christ. We've kind of talked about this a little bit, but here we are again. The former man-made temple was being superseded by a better house, a better temple, not made with hands. The church the bodies of all believers, which are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So if the temple of God is a house not made with hands, how do we make a building, any building, the house of God? Well, we need to reverence the house of God. There's a lot of people that don't reverence the house of God that wouldn't consider doing bad things in a church building, but they don't reverence the house of God. In fact, that's exactly what Paul said. He said, because we don't discern the body. Many are sick among us, and we have communion and not discern the body. What does that mean? That if we have communion, which word communion is the same Greek word translated fellowship in Acts 2.42, which is konoia, which speaks of, it's a, that was a Greek word that was used in marriage contracts uh, for those that agree to jointly participate in the necessities of life. So this is a bond of fellowship in the body of Christ that's supposed to be there. So in Acts 2.42, the word's translated fellowship, uh, but in in communion, it's, it's translated communion. And the purpose of that, of course, is to speak of the union we're supposed to have one with another. So if I participate in this act of commemoration of union, or communion, uh, and I don't discern the Lord's body if I uh, desecrate the Lord's body uh, by my sin or having bitterness in me that I will not forgive and sin that I won't repent of and I live by my own will and not God's will, uh, then that's why there are many weak and sickly among us because not because we... Uh, were disrespectful in the house of God. I'm not trying to be unkind here. I'm trying to make a point. I'm not trying to insult you. I'm trying to make a point. We're so protective of that building and mistreat the body of Christ all the time. Talk about people, criticize people. We don't pray for people. Yes, we do that. We do that. And yet, and yet, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> we, we got our holy places all right, but we're not holy. The church gathers in a holy place. The people gather in a holy place called the church. But the people aren't set apart from the world and set apart unto God, so they're not holy. So just the unholy people gathering in that holy place desecrates it. 
see how far we get from the Word of God when we get off and we use terminology that is biblical but in a non-biblical way or you or bring in terminology that's not in the Bible and try to explain what we're doing because we can't use biblical terms to explain and and describe and teach what we're doing. It's really easy to get out there. Here's another thing. God also may have been trying to prevent exactly what eventually happened. His body, his house being replaced in our minds, faith, practices, spirits by physical structures which have been which have called been called which we have called the church. <clears throat> Jesus did say and I taught this in a previous lesson, Matthew 18, 20, where, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And the Greek word where is at which place or where, speaking of a location. He didn't say what facility, in what building you gather, there I'm in the midst. But wherever you gather, under a tree, in a brush arbor, on the street, in a prison cell, in a nursing home, in somebody's house, in the break room at work. It doesn't matter where two or three come together. That's the church because he's there. But is it very, it is very possible that he didn't let that first place of the outpour of the Holy Ghost become so holy to us that we do pilgrimages to it. Oh, I, I know, uh, you know, the people went to Azusa Street of the day of the outpour of the Holy Ghost. Back in that time of the outpours, you know, saw that building, whatever's left of it. I'm not sure even whatever's left of it. No, go to the house on Bonnie Bray Street. Isn't it amazing that Azusa Street started in a house? <clears throat> Hello? One of the greatest revivals of outpouring the Holy Ghost that's ever been that affected the entire world didn't start in a stable. It was converted into a meeting place. It started in a house on Bonnie Bray, Bray Street. A house. <laughs> that's why for many church planters, uh, home missionaries are really ministers sent out with an apostolic gifting to start something where there is nothing, frequently they start in houses. I wish I'd have understood that. It would have been a lot less stressful. But back when we started in September of 1970 here in Annapolis, we, we had to find some place to have church. And, and because I wanted to reach the lost, we had four church services a week when there was only two of us. Why? Because if the way to reach the world is to have church services in a church building, then you got to have as many church services as you can so that you have a have as many opportunities as possible to get people to come. I'm sorry. I know this is going to offend some, and I don't intend for it to. If it offends you, this is between you and God. But if I really believe that it was the plan and the will of God to have church and invite people to church to be saved. I don't know how many church services I'd have a day, every day, if I'm trying to preach the gospel to every creature and obey the, obedience to the word of God. 
every preacher, every creature in our area. We're trying to preach the gospel to every creature. If that's our method, I don't know how many church services a day we should be having every day in this facility. If that's the method we believe is Bible, but we prove we don't believe that because we're having less and less church than we've ever had. We don't believe it. Not me saying we don't believe it. Those that are doing that are saying they don't believe it. They don't believe it. But they're not replacing that with anything else either. I mean, again, I have not taught against the fact that it's wrong for us to get together. We're supposed to gather together. The body of Christ is supposed to gather together. But the question then comes down to this. Uh, What happens when we make that our whole focus and our whole structure? And then the only way into the he- into heaven is by coming into our doors and getting saved in our doors. Well, if that's the way it's going to be, I want to know how many church services a day, every day you're having to give people a chance to be saved. And if you're not doing that, you've condemned yourself. If you're not doing that, the early church, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You know why? Because they were going to the temple every day and they were meeting in house to house every day. So I'm not saying we have to have something officially together every day, but the body of Christ in any general area, there needs to be teaching, somebody teaching a Bible study places every day. There need to be groups meeting at homes every day. There needs to be people going to nursing homes and to prisons and jails and all of every day. Otherwise, the Lord can't add to the church daily such as should be saved. Whatever his many reasons were or could have been, the irrefutable fact remains that God did not choose the temple as the location of the second greatest event since the creation of man, Calvary being the first, which made the second possible. That's the reason Calvary is the greatest event because the second could not have happened without the first. But he did not choose the location of the temple, the facility of the temple, as the place to fulfill the promise of the Father, the promise of Abraham, which was, is synonymous with the promise of the Father. He didn't choose that. He didn't choose it. He chose the upper room of an unnamed house, don't even know where it is today. My friend, my brother, my sister, what are we going to do about this? I sit here today, and I'm not teaching these lessons because of the current events. I did this study that I'm teaching years ago. I've added to it over the years, but I first got this revelation in May of 1982. First book I wrote was the missing half of the church, and that's what I was talking about. I know about the public part of the church. Where's the house to house part of the church? That was the, that was the revelation all all the way back then, all the way back then. So here we are today, and I'm asking today, where where's where's the other half of the church? But we're in this day today date of this particular time that I am 
recording this message. Just today, this morning, there have been numerous municipalities and situations throughout the country where meetings are being gathered, closed down. All of the basketball tournaments are being shut down. They're not even going to have them, not even just in empty arenas. They're not going to have them. Other sporting events are closing down. Other concerts and other events are closing down. (coughs) They're closing down. Being shut down. Is it long till churches are shut down? What happens to those that their whole ministry is built around a facility that they're not going to be able to legally meet in? And how brilliant is this? It is so brilliant of the adversary to not confront us with a law the church can't meet. But it's a health crisis. And we're being shut down over fear of disease and dying. Really? So, where's your faith? Where's my faith? And where is the New Testament structure of the church where we'll be able to get together and minister in facilities other than the church building. Where's that at? I pray in Jesus' name. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that the Spirit of the Lord is talking to you and that you're looking for answers and that you'll let God give you the answers which are in the Bible about what we're supposed to do when the health scare shuts our churches down so that we can continue to minister to the body of Christ and the body of Christ can continue to minister to this lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, may the grace of God and the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him enlighten our understanding so that we can do that. And I bind the spirit of fear has come upon so many churches and so many Christians in Jesus' name and command that we be free. I loose the spirit of peace upon us that we can walk in peace, the peace of God, rather than the fear created by this world and its circumstances. God bless you in Jesus' name.